This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from Talk Sport as we review the weekend action and look ahead to the upcoming matches on a packed weekend and midweek of Premier League games. All in the company of the former England fullback Mickey Gray and Talk Sport's Alex Crook. Manchester United grind out a point at Stamford Bridge, but it's Arsenal next and they were back to winning ways at the weekend. And Saka's going to the penalty here. Set up by Tavares and drags it past the goalkeeper and in. It's a brilliant Bakayu Saka goal. Super strike across the goalkeeper into the far corner. Once again, he is the influence. Martinelli in behind. There's a volley from the cross from Tommy Asu. Goalkeeper came out and got caught short. And Martinelli hit it first time into the top corner. Before that, the Merseyside derby will take centre stage. And Rafa the Goodison Park gaffer has forgotten hopes of being a top four gatecrasher. And Jurgen Klopp has already turned into an Everton basher. Details on the way. Newcastle need to beat Norwich on Tuesday night, but how Leeds are at home to Crystal Palace after a draw they just about got away with at Brighton whose fans have stopped booing just in time to board the train to West Ham there's a full programme and Tottenham and Burnley might actually get to play their matches this time after Snow ploughed a huge hole through the fixture list the best way to digest the Premier League is right here it's more reliable than Jorginho's first touch it's the game day podcast from TalkSport This is Game Day. Okay, let's start with Chelsea and Manchester United. We'll try and look ahead to all the midweek fixtures, including the Merseyside derby very shortly, and look back as well at the same time of what's happened at the weekend. Chelsea 1-1 with Manchester United. 66% possession, 24 shots to three, six on target to two, 15 corners to two. Chelsea bossed the game with Manchester United, but again, Finishing, let them down. Werner, Rudiger, uh, second half chances that would have seen them win the game and ruin Crook's party he was throwing when Jorginho gifted United the lead. Me and Mickey were in the car on the way back from Manchester City <laughs> against West Ham and he said, an historic win for Michael Carrick is on the, on the cards or something of that ilk. And it really riled me up. I just got so annoyed about the cockiness after like that five minutes of the second half. 
Listen, I uh, I did get a bit excitable, but there haven't been uh, too many of those moments for Manchester United this season, so I think I was entitled to enjoy it. It was a uh, it was a workmanlike performance. They certainly showed a lot more character than they have done in recent weeks. But let's be honest, as you say, Chelsea had enough chances to win the game. I think United would have taken a point beforehand and and probably a point the least that Chelsea deserved. But so frustrating again the nature of the the, the, the goal they conceded the. The soft penalty given away. And that's why Michael Carrick, I think, was so frustrated as he trudged back to the dressing room at full time. Yeah, I mean, uh, Crookie says there are not too many moments to enjoy. If that's what you're enjoying as a Manchester United fan, you're in real trouble, Mickey Gray, because it was a backs-to-the-wall, pragmatic performance, wasn't it, right from the very beginning? But but didn't we know that before the game started? Because <laughs> yes. of the lineup that he picked... We didn't know whether who was going to be the number nine. It ended up being Bruno Fernandes, uh, relying on Rashford and Sancho to try and come up with something magical. But Chelsea put it on a plate for them with a mistake from Jorginho. And then after that, you're thinking to yourself, right, well, nobody expected United to take the lead in the first place. They would have taken anything out of that game. And they've come away with a draw. So well done to Michael Carrick and well done to United because Chelsea are the ones who were playing at home. They had to take the game to United. We knew exactly how they were going to set up. So I think that's a big point for United. I agree with you. It was a battling point for Manchester United who will be the story because Ralph Ranić is going to be walking through the Carrington door any minute. But Chelsea should see this as two points dropped. They've lost at home to Manchester City. They've drawn away at Liverpool, drawn at home to Manchester United. It could be costly come May. They go to Watford in the week. I don't. I mean, there's, there's not going to go over the top, Mr. Bold claim. Uh, they go to Watford in the week, who leak more goals than the United, only just, but Lukaku, Pulisic, Mount, all seem to be coming back to fitness. It'd be good if someone scored some goals. Um, okay, let's, a quick word on the Ronaldo corner bit at, at the end. Did you see this? Did you see the Ronaldo corner where he goes down the left hand side? He's clearly offside. He goes into the penalty area, gets tackled. The ball goes out for a corner. Because it's tight, the assistants kept the flag down, right? But first of all, he's only about 10 yards inside the Chelsea half when the offside occurs. So that should be flagged immediately. There should be no delay to the flag in those circumstances. He's out wide. It, isn't, it shouldn't be flagged when he's that far out wide anyway, again. So the, the assistant's made two mistakes before he's forgotten to put his flag up once the ball goes out for a corner. When it goes out for a corner, that's when he should flag if he thinks that he's not sure whether or not he's offside and was leaving it for a VAR to give a free kick to Chelsea. Gives a corner in the last minute of the game to Manchester United. No wonder Thomas Tuchel nearly had a heart attack. I mean, it was ridiculous officiating. Can you imagine if they'd have scored exactly. from that corner? I mean, it I would, mean, have, been that would have, that would have been wonderful. Central. That would have been wonderful, wouldn't it? But <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's it's a ridiculous uh, way that they uh, officiate games now. The, the assistants obviously told to keep their flag down until the last possible moment. But this is a situation where that protocol just simply doesn't work. And as you say, you can understand uh, Tuchel's frustration. I found it all quite hilarious. Yeah, I bet you did. You, you, you've had a great afternoon, isn't it? Getting a battling point at the Stamford Bridge. Uh, I wonder if you'll have a great evening when Manchester United take on Arsenal on Thursday night. Um, listen, Mickey, what's Ralph Rangnick going to do uh, in that game against uh, Arsenal? What's he taken from today's performance? Well, I just wonder whether he's had a conversation with Michael Carrick before today's game. I don't think he would have had any um, thought on the team. He maybe had it in his own head, but I don't think he would have got involved in that team that Man United played today. But I've listened to Jurgen Klopp. I've heard a couple of little bits from Pep Guardiola. I think Thomas Tuchel as well, saying that 
he's this super coach, but he, he's been out of football or coaching for, for quite a long time. He's got to hit the ground running. And we were, we were having a chat a little bit earlier, and I said, if he wants Manchester United to become a pressing team, you can't do that in the middle of a season. I've, I don't think I've known any side change the way they play in the middle of the season. Man United is stuck with the way they play. We've seen on occasions when they played against Liverpool and maybe a little bit against Man City, when they try and press, they can't do it because they don't know what they're doing as a group. Now, if Ranyu thinks he's going to walk through the door and completely change things in two or three weeks, it's not going to happen. Um, Those players aren't fit enough. Okay, um, he is very much the hipster's choice, isn't he? Listen to anyone who has an interest in German football and he is the godfather of the modern German game. But a quick glance over his CV and it doesn't reveal much elite-level coaching experience, does it? I mean, he was sacked by Stuttgart, sacked by Hanover, sacked by Schalke. He was probably best thought of at Hoffenheim when he took them from the regional leagues up through to the Bundesliga and established them as a major force in the German game. Most of his successes, though, have come not as a head coach, but as a sporting director, where, where he mm. basically changed the world for the Red Bull clubs, Leipzig and Salzburg. That would suggest that the longer-term control is his forte, not the Red Adair swoop-in-and-save-em type. Yeah, and actually, we had Dean Saunders on the boot room on Sunday, and, and he was trying to suggest that uh, if you look at his coaching CV... He's only ever managed small clubs and he said clubs that would be in the championship. I think that's a little bit harsh um, on Dean's part, but I see your point. Also, if you, you look at the way his departure has been covered in Russia, there's a former locomotive Moscow uh, chairman who has made him out to be a mercenary, said he's only going for the money. Um, I spoke to somebody else who said he's not particularly popular with the locomotive fans, spent a lot of money, made a popular manager leave and made the club worse is the uh, is the final thing that I was told. So uh, as much as um, people like Kevin Hatchard and Thomas Tuchel and uh, Jurgen Klopp have spoke glowingly about him, you're right, I think this is a big step up. I think this is the biggest uh, biggest job of his career. Yeah, I mean, because Jurgen Klopp and, and like Pep Guardiola, even and Pep Guardiola actually said, you know, there's no magic wand. He's going to go in there and it's going to take time. Even he took a year to settle into the Premier League. But Thomas Tuchel and, and Jurgen Klopp, I mean, if you didn't know who they were talking about. You'd think that it was the second coming or something. I mean, they absolutely revere this guy. But a, a, a sort of deep look into why they revere this guy, it's because, actually, Thomas Tuchel is only a coach because Ralph Rangnick rang him up and gave him a job in the academy. So there's connections there, and maybe they've sort of overblown his experience and quality at this level. I mean, it's a very different job managing Manchester United on a caretaker basis until the end of the season than it is looking after Schalke Nufia or um, Hoffenheim or Red Bull Leipzig, where you've gone in to be the head coach because you've sacked the previous coach, for example. Sam, I, the equivalent for me is Bielsa. I think a lot of the managers, whenever you speak to them, they talk about Bielsa in high praise. Mm in the way that Bielsa sets his teams up and the way that they play. Maybe that's similar to Ranić. And, and Crookie, I think you were saying there about he's not, not the most popular guy. I don't think Man United need to go down the popular route. They've done that with only Gunnar Solskjaer and it, we've all seen what happened. Yes, he got off to a great start, but when he was he signed that contract and he became the coach of Man United, we took them to second and got them to finals and semi-finals. But this season... They didn't need a popular guy in the dugout or the technical area. They needed somebody who's going to get a reaction from the players. So I think that new face and new ideas will go down well with the players. 
And it's down to the players now for a reaction. And if they get that reaction, we know that squad. I hope we all agree on this. That squad's good enough to finish in the top four. Oh, yeah. It has, no to, be, it has to be good enough to finish in the top four. But those individual players have got to have a look at themselves. Like Shaw and Maguire have not came back since the Euros. They've not been the same players. Wambasaka should be working on the things that he's not good at, which is in the final third and passing a football. He's playing in the Premier League. It's it's ridiculous. And then you've got midfield players who are not good enough to play for Manchester United. Fred's so pressing was good again tonight, though, wasn't it? I mean, Fred's pressing was good again. I mean, you've got to give him credit for that. But moving forward, Sam, let's be brutally honest here. Fred is not a Manchester United player. If they want to go and win titles and they start winning European trophies or even domestic trophies, Fred is not the answer at Manchester United. Arsenal, their opponents on Thursday night. They beat Newcastle 2-0 on Saturday lunchtime. They were okay. They missed a huge chance in the first half where Aubameyang, who never scores away from home, so that's okay for you boys on uh, Thursday night. You'll be absolutely fine. He doesn't score away from home. Actually, he didn't look like he was going to score at home this weekend. He barely touched the ball when he did. (laughs) He managed to hit the post from four yards out. The stars of that show, very much Nuno Tavares and Bakayu Saka, who is brilliant, but he's injured. So, you know, Mikel Arteta's done you a massive favour going into this game, Crook. It's a huge opportunity um, for Manchester United to make a statement, really, because I think a lot of people have, have mocked them in the last few weeks, suggesting that Arsenal have overtaken them. I don't see that. I think Arsenal beat the teams they should do, and they lose whenever they come up against quality opposition. And even in that game on Saturday, they were still reliant on one brilliant save from Aaron Ramsdale. Yep. Who knows how things could have worked out. Had that gone differently, I actually felt Newcastle... Uh, could have had at least one penalty. So there's still vulnerabilities there. And again, it's the senior players. Aubameyang was dreadful, not just the miss. His all-round mm. contribution. And listen, when Saka hobbled off, I did say to Mrs. Crook, big Arsenal fan, not too disappointed to see that, to be honest. Yeah, look, I mean, they should have had uh, two penalties. Arsenal should have had a penalty as well. I mean, again, the officiating, Stuart Atwell was the referee in this game. There's absolutely no doubt that Martin Erdegaard gave away a penalty in any other realm. I mean, he grabs hold of Fabian Scher, drags him to the floor at a corner kick. I mean, it's a definite penalty. How VAR hasn't overturned that, or at least recommended that Stuart Atwell goes to the monitor, I don't know. So that would have changed the game initially because that was in the first half. In the second half, Callum Wilson gets nudged to the floor by Nuno Tavares. That's a 50-50. I can sort of see why it wasn't, but you know, if it had been given, no one would complain. And then the most ridiculous one of all, when right at the very end, Jamal Lascelles decides to shoulder barge Gabriel Martinelli, but not shoulder to shoulder, Lascelles' shoulder into Martinelli's jaw. I mean, that was outrageous, outrageous behaviour because it's endangering the safety of an opponent. It was a sending off and it was a penalty. Oh, Sam. I don't. Well, yeah, it might have been a sending off because he was the last man. I think um, there definitely could have been penalties given. But don't you think that Arsenal seem to be papering over the cracks. Their home form's great. I think they picked up more points than anybody else in the Premier League this season. Mm. Um, if if I'm if I'm right, but their away form. I was at I was at Anfield uh, with you uh, when they played against Arsenal. <laughs> Were they, they there? Got, Did Arsenal turn up? I don't remember. Yeah, that. They, they got absolutely schooled. And Tavares, the guy we're talking about. Yes, he's brilliant in that final third, but that. That pass that he gave, the giveaway, and Jota just um, skipped by about three or four players and stuck it in the back of the net. I think uh, Crookie's right. When they play against the top sides Mm. is when you find out what Arsenal are all about. I don't think they'll finish in the top four.
play on. And Gabriel, Martinelli in behind, there's a body from the cross from Tommy Asu. Goalkeeper came out and got caught short. And Martinelli hit it first time into the top corner. And Arsenal lead by two goals to nil. Here's El Ghazi making space inside the box. Squares it to the edge of the area. John again wins the game for Aston Villa. A left-footed strike. Gaeta at full stretch. Brilliant effort from the Scotsman. He's been on fire all day. And just like his manager used to do, he fires in a beauty. Steven Gerrard cock hoop And Villa are going to take all three points back up to the Midlands. It's Palace nil, Villa 2. That is the last action of a breathless game here at the Amex. It was a terrific match, but he did finish. Brighton nil, Leeds nil. The match has been postponed. It's just come up on the big screen as ludicrous that it's taken so long to reach this conclusion. Snowing and it's snowing goals. It's Leicester 4, Watford 2. So Leicester have re-established their two-goal advantage. Adamola Luckman is the scorer. Brilliant finish from Fernandinho. Listen to this crowd. They love this man at this football club. And that's absolutely superb from him. I am flabbergasted that at this present moment, this game is still going ahead. It's into the bottom left-hand corner. Ivan Tony scores. And Brentford lead Everton by one goal to nil. De Gea goes the wrong way. And Chelsea finally have their goal. And Manchester United's defensive vigil comes to an end. It is Chelsea 1, Manchester United 1. Manchester City at West Ham 2-1 on Sunday. Now, we all worked on this game. Mickey and I did it for TalkSport. Crookie did it for TalkSport International. 24 shots, 12 of them on target, 12 corners, snow, a half-time delay. The works. Mickey and I had a great time in the cold. Minus two, a roast dinner before the match. Cheeky little (laughs) half-time pie provided by Mickey. A couple of cups of coffee. But you thought it was boring, Crook, did you? (laughs) <laughs> do you know what the, the roast dinner might have swung it I didn't get a roast dinner so maybe, <laughs> maybe that was what it was uh, no I, I mentioned this to you before I just find that Manchester City are quite a draining team to commentate on because they just pass the ball so much and you're not um, used to seeing that I suppose being a Manchester United fan is alien it, to you it was an impressive performance again from City they had West Ham at arm's length in fact I think West Ham's first shot on target in the second half was probably Lanzini's goal which was a blockbuster although ultimately counted for nothing other than ruining Edison's hopes of 100th clean sheet uh, he was furious but they're the teams to catch aren't they Manchester City um, I think they've now scored 50 goals in their last 19 games uh, how are they the teams to catch the second in the Premier League they're the defending champions and actually we, bold claim time get the, get the music out here we go I think Chelsea are third favourites. I, I, I put Manchester City and Liverpool now ahead of I Chelsea, agree. having tipped Chelsea at the start of the season. Well, I tipped tip Liverpool, so I'm still sticking with them. Um, I was, um, I was actually, I thought they were good. West Ham in patches. I thought they gave uh, a bit of a game to the the, the uh, Manchester City backline. I thought Antonio, in particular, in that first half, Mickey and I thought they 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 approached the game in in the right way. It was quite open for the first 15, 20 minutes, wasn't it? Well, you remember the incident with Laporte and Antonio. I mean, he had his he, oh, he had his yeah. number, didn't he, in the first half? And Antonio just kept shrugging him aside and just driving anywhere near the, the byline or towards that eighteen yard area. He made that tackle, and I, I believe I think he got a yellow card for it as well. I mean, he, he kind of went with his left foot, yeah, and he 
he half won the ball, half didn't win the ball, and then his right foot caught the back of Antonio's ankles. And the second bit of contact, he was actually in the 18-yard box. And I mm. thought that could have been given as a penalty. It wasn't. But you're right, they had, they had their spells. Crookie, there was a chance before the goal. Declan Rice, who, who, was, who was excellent. Yeah, the, the drive game. into the area. Yeah, and he played really well today. On a couple of occasions, in fact, Bernardo Silva scored a goal that was offside. He gave the ball away in the centre circle, Declan Rice. I think it was the only time he gave the ball away today. I was praying that the goal was going to count because we would have seen it for weeks and weeks and weeks. Fernandinho played him through and he just dinked it over the top of Fabianski and it was, I was like, oh my good Lord. We were drooling over that. It was. it was a fantastic was. finish, wasn't it? It was brilliant. But I think performance-wise, I've seen better from City. You have to take the weather into con- uh, consideration. We didn't think that the game was actually going to finish, did we, Sam? It was, uh, it was horrendous. I think they were lucky, weren't they? They were, they were lucky with the timing at Manchester City. They were unlucky with the timing at Burnley because the, it all came, went on the pitch. They obviously forgot to turn on the undersoil heating before the snow started to come down. Thought, oh, we, we better start it now. But it takes a few hours to get going. Um, and then at Manchester City... They, they sort of had the snowstorm, the big, huge snowstorm in the first half. And then at halftime, were able to clear the pitch. And that was when it was at its worst. And then once they'd cleared the pitch, actually the snow stopped in Manchester for a little while. And that meant that the second half was, was very playable. But the last 10 minutes of the first half was like watching one of those 1970s TV where you've got the sort of the reception, you're move, moving the aerial around to make sure that you can see what's on it, but only just seeing through the sort of snowy uh, pictures that are on your black and white Ferguson TV. Um, but Leicester, it, it was really bad in the second half. I mean, Burnley obviously went, but um, we managed to get 90 minutes in the end. You picked a great day, didn't you, to take your show on the road? How many hours were you sat in that cold stadium for? Fantastic. Actually, you know, that wasn't the worst thing, though. Mickey will tell you, right? The worst thing was not the six hours outside that we had today. It was the last 15 minutes getting out of the stadium and to the car because, for whatever reason, the roads were gritted, but the pavements weren't, and it was really, really slippery. It was absolutely freezing cold and the walk is quite extensive and the wind was in our face and everything. It was horrible, wasn't it? And we all couldn't wait to get that remind That reminds me of a Chelsea trip I did once uh, to Norway to cover a Champions League game. I was with John Hollins, fantastic guy. And we, we stepped off the, the team coach and I said, John, be careful, it's really icy here. And then I absolutely stacked it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did actually see somebody fall. Yeah, we did. We had to go to their rescue. It was bad, and he was on a crutch as well, wasn't it? It was. It was. Yeah, he was. Listen, up and down the country, it was ap- treacherous conditions for travelling all weekend. It took me fourteen and a half hours to go to Arsenal and come back again um, <laughs> on Saturday, and then it wasn't. You know, it wasn't easy getting to Manchester City, and only live around the corner. Anyway, uh, Manchester City take on Villa on Wednesday night. Obviously, Steven Gerrard's got another good result at the weekend. They beat Crystal Palace by two goals to one. In fact, you know, two goals to one sounds like it was close. It wasn't. They bossed the game, didn't they? And they, they came up with two very good goals. Yeah, and, and we said earlier that no manager has a magic wand. Well, Steven Gerrard um, seems to have one at his disposal. Back-to-back victories after replacing Dean Smith. Perhaps that is more of a reflection on where Villa were towards the end of Dean Smith's tenure. But you have to say he's come in, he's got them organised. 
they seem to be working a little bit harder for each other. And I think you could see by the nature of John McGinn's celebration just how much that victory meant. So I think this will be uh, another test for uh, Manchester City. Stephen Gerrard actually said after the game, Mickey, that he thought that uh, Dean Smith deserved a lot of credit for putting the groundwork in over the last uh, two and a half years that he was in charge or three and a half years that he was in charge. He said, you know, what he's done has given us the ability to be able to now take it on to the next level. Well, I don't think he's ever going to come on and, and criticise Dean Smith, is he? I think that, that's not in Steven Gerrard's nature, is it? But um, when you think that Ollie Watkins was leading the line, I think, I'm sure Danny Ings was on the bench, but he wasn't he was, you. Yeah. Yeah, so they've got a healthy squad, Aston Villa. I think their problems have been is when I've seen them, and I'm not saying he's a really poor player, but Tyrone Mings seems to make a, a mistake when you're not expecting it. I think you look at them in the back, um, they've got a very good goalkeeper. But the way that Aston Villa need to play with the players that they've got at their disposal is on the front foot. They've got to try and make things happen. And I don't think they did that at the beginning of this season under Dean Smith. So maybe Stephen saw that. Look, I think he set up a lot of a lot of things. He said he set up uh, an Instagram page for his players, a WhatsApp group for his players. He's given them uh, huge information over the first couple of weeks while he's been there. We didn't know how Stephen was going to react when he comes to the Premier League. You can you can judge him as much as you want, playing for Rangers or managing Rangers, and what he achieved there in the what three and a half years I think he was there. He's going to start getting judged now, but all good managers. Remember, Graham Sooner said this. He was at Blackburn for a long time, Graham, and he went to Newcastle and he, he was unbeaten in his first thirteen games. And he did an interview and he said, "I'll see what this group of players like after they lose the first game." That's what I'm waiting for under Steven Gerrard at Aston Villa. The one thing I will say about Steven Gerrard is, is he looks and sounds like a manager. He handles himself like a manager. Yeah. Whereas I think, you know, some 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 other players that have gone into management have looked a little bit like they're not as comfortable in front of the camera or behind the mic as he is. He just seems to be Steven Gerrard and he looks as if he is in control of proceedings. Look, they, they go to Manchester City on Wednesday night. It's not going to be the easiest of uh, fixtures. Uh, West Ham, who were beaten by Manchester City at the weekend, entertained Brighton, who were booed off on Saturday night after a nil-nil draw. That's right. Brighton, in eighth in the Premier League, uh, were booed off. And, and, you know, listen, Brighton fans annoyed with their... Uh, wound up their manager, really, didn't they? Because he said afterwards, look, we're sitting eighth in the Premier League. Maybe I need a history lesson on this football club. I think he was being sarcastic. Well, I think that some of those fans need a history lesson. Absolutely ridiculous. I looked it up, actually. A decade ago, they were playing in League One. They won promotion that season. They didn't have their own stadium. They were playing at the With Dean Athletic Stadium. Absolutely run down, ramshackle ground. Here they are, state-of-the-art training ground. Fantastic arena to go and watch their team play. Some wonderful players, the likes of Tarek Lamptey and Eve Basuma. Eighth in the Premier League. For Brighton fans, and it was only a minority to boo their team off is a disgrace. And Graham Potter isn't someone who gets animated very often, but you could see by his reaction at full time and what he said afterwards, he was annoyed, and rightly so. Yeah, and uh, you obviously decided to wade in, having not watched the game because you were in uh, at a party last night. So you didn't, you, you weren't involved in it really, but you thought 
you'd better get your two pennies worth in. So you chastised them on Twitter. One wag came back to you uh, with the phrase, fans are entitled to their opinion, and this was a team that was set up not to attack but defend against a worse team than us. Leeds did finish in the top 10 last season, by the way. And Brighton had 20 shots. Well, well uh, we, as I was going to say, you know, as TalkSport, you know, we are powered by fans. TalkSport are, are built on uh, opinions of supporters, and everyone's entitled to their opinion. We are. We're, we're fans as well. But it's also our job to provide a little bit of context, like Lamptey creating five chances in the first half, Leandro Trossard hitting a post, Modder hitting the outside of a post, Solly March rattling the woodwork, and Neil Mopai missing two golden chances. But apart from that, they weren't set up to attack. Um, they are eight without a win, though. Anyway, moving on. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. The Merseyside derby will take centre stage on Wednesday night where most of the games take place. Jurgen Klopp has already unloaded on Everson with a bit of a barb about them not playing football. People make too much of the derby, he said. We want to play football. Let's see what the opponent wants. That will stoke the fires, Michael Gray. Yeah, he, well, and let's hope that we get the Liverpool we've seen over the last three or four weeks because... Uh, as we covered the the Liverpool Arsenal game, I think the the game at the weekend against um, Southampton, they just look like they're back to the side that won the title. And whether that's down to having a crowd in the stadium, whether it's uh, down to having Virgil Van Dijk back in the side, and I suppose Allison fully fit, and the three guys, well, maybe not the three guys, the four guys up front now because Jota's joined the party, hasn't he? They they look the real deal. Um, you can question Jurgen Klopp every single season. Why he's not signing players? Why is he not bringing two or three new faces in just to freshen things up? He knows he's got a great squad of players. And the balance that he's got in uh, experience and younger players, and then you bring into the equation the young guys who he's, he's actually bringing through and giving an opportunity in the first team, not every week, but when he gives them the chance, they look fantastic. And I agree with Crookie. When he, he said, mentioned it before about out of the top three, I think Chelsea are probably the third side that you look at because I don't see Man City slipping up. I don't see Liverpool slipping up too many times. And 
they look fantastic. Everton, on the other hand, what is it, seven or eight games without a win now under Rafa Benitez? Yeah, seven he needed to get off to yeah. a good start. He got off to a good start because of his background and his, his track record at Liverpool. I think Everton are in trouble and I don't know what's going to happen in this game, but you can only see a thumping from Liverpool, now I'm talking three or four, or Everton maybe grabbing a draw or something out the game. I just don't see Everton winning this game because their, their top players are out the start level. When they are, their squad is not good enough after the first eleven. I mean, there's not an occasion in history where you can ever imagine an Everton to support not filling Goodison Park for a game like this. But they were poor again on Sunday in the defeat to Brentford by a goal to nil. They were better in the second half. And Moose spoke to uh, Rafa Benitez after the game. And in the words of Rafa, they had a lot of crosses. Um, but that doesn't really help, does it? If Salomon Rondon is your forward, who Perry Grove said wasn't playing as a number nine. He was playing at a force nine. He was playing behind himself. <laughs> well, the fact that Rondon and, and, and Tozen are, are getting anywhere near the first team at Everton suggests big problems there. And if, if this was a horse race, they would be heavily weighted Liverpool to try and make it more of a contest because they are so far ahead of their Merseyside rivals. I, I can't see Everton scrambling a draw. I think they're going to get battered. Um, and I think... A bit like Southampton did on Saturday. Indeed. And I think if you look at... Um, Everton, they're, they're a warning to Newcastle because Newcastle fans believe that even if they go down, they're going to spend hundreds of millions of pounds and suddenly go from being relegation fodder to a championship team, possibly to challenging for Europe. Well, Everton have tried that. They've spent a huge amount of money in the last few transfer windows. They've Too much. Had, they've gone for the Hollywood managers and they're no better now than when they started. No, they're actually probably in a worse position than, than when they started because they've got a collection of different players from different managers that they don't want anymore and haven't wanted for a, a long time. You mentioned Cenk Toshin, I think, you know, who Sam Allardyce signed him, did he? You know, a, a big cost and now they're stuck with him and no one's used him properly over the course of the last few years. I don't think he really particularly wants to be there. I don't think they want him there either. Uh, Liverpool, as I said, battered Southampton on Saturday. I bumped into Guy Mowbray actually uh, on Sunday and he said to me at one stage, I thought, it's going to be another nine because uh, Liverpool was so far in charge. When Southampton go, when you've sort of broke the dam, they do go, don't they? I mean, they do sort of seem to collapse. Yeah, we've seen it on numerous occasions now. I found the team selection a bit puzzling. And I think Ralph Hasen, who came out afterwards, and he admitted he made a mistake with the three Back central three, defenders. Yeah. He, said um, it, he said it killed us. Yeah, well, it did. You know, was it three nil down in what? 32 minutes, something like that. One nil down after a minute. I mean, the, what, the last thing that Ralph would have said to his players going out at Anfield was keep it tight. Let's just try and stay in the game for as long as possible. When you can see that early, you're on a hiding to nothing. They did have chances, actually. Adam Armstrong had a couple of decent opportunities, but I mean, defensively, they were a shambles. And I think uh, it was a mistake to to play Lyanko, a player that we've not seen too much of since his arrival. That was some baptism for him. I saw him at the, in the uh, Carabao Cup, actually. I saw him in the game against Chelsea at the Carabao Cup. He was terrific. He was really good. <laughs> he played really well. Um, but he didn't play very well at Anfield. And nor did Southampton, who play Leicester in the week. Leicester beat Watford 4-2 in crazy conditions. No love uh, for the returning Claudio Ranieri. Um, Leicester needed that. Saints might not be meeting them at the right time. Vardy and Madison, Michael Gray, seem to be striking up their relationship again. Madison's a, a strange one, isn't he? I think he, he, he kind of goes through spells in his in his career where he looks a world beater, 
for a couple of months. Then he seems to have four or five weeks off where he's not the player that we know he can be. Jamie Vardy, you know what you're going to get. I think whether he's scoring goals or whether he's not scoring goals, you know, you know you're going to get opportunities. And I think that's obviously why he's still playing at his age and <laughs> working as hard as he, he ever has done. I think Brendan needed that win. Look, they've conceded two goals today, but and they've won. But that's a lot of goals they've conceded this season. And you think, you know, they've, they've changed things at the back. They've brought in defenders. Um, and there's a speculation still over the top of his head because we don't know what's happening, whether Brendan Rodgers is going to be the next Manchester United manager. He criticised the supporters, I think, a couple of weeks ago, um, saying that they shouldn't have got booed off. Um, remember where this club used to be and where we where we came from. I think they needed that. They needed that performance against Watford, whether it was a 4-0 win or a 4-2 win or whatever it might be. But yeah, they, they're still a quality outfit. I think they've got fantastic players. But midweek games coming up as well. And they've got Europe to co- uh, consider as well. Yeah, they have. They've got Europe, uh, Europa League. Yeah. They've got Carabao Cup semi-final, uh, quarterfinals to play. They've got the obviously the two rounds in December of the uh, Premier League that are in the midweek as well. So it's a really congested period for them. They are eight points worse off at the uh, same stage last season when they were third with 24 points after 12 games. So, mm. I, mean, I mean, obviously we've played an extra 13 now, so um, that might be slightly different. But look, I wonder what you think about this. And this is a, this is going to be one of those debates where both of you get really annoyed because Manchester United are coming into it as well. But I noticed when I was doing the statistics this week that Manchester United, like Leicester, they were getting a lot of points last season. The odd win or getting back into games because of penalties. Now, the way we interpret the laws of the game this season has changed, and there is a lot less, or a lot uh, fewer, if that's the right way of saying, soft penalties. I think United have had one penalty, I think, this season. Leicester, before the weekend, had had no penalties, right? I wonder if that had a significant impact on their decline because maybe it indicates that they were over-reliant on them last season had to sort of change their game because they would nick the odd penalty. Vardy does sort of burst into the box, get sort of clipped or whatever. And same with Rashford at Manchester United and, and other players too. I just wonder whether or not that's, that might be quite significant for both those two teams. <laughs> I don't really know how to answer that. I know that Bruno Fernandes has now gone, what, 14 games without a goal? And he was um, scoring so a lot of penalties. He was, so maybe there is a correlation there. I think with Leicester, it's a combination of things, really. A little bit of a hangover from winning the FA Cup. The fact they're trying to balance the Europa League with the Premier League, which is often difficult for smaller teams, and they are still one of the smaller teams in the Premier League compared to the historic Big Four, Big Six. They've had a lot of injury problems, and I don't think the Brendan Rodgers speculation and and that uh, spat that he had with the fans has helped either. So I'm not sure I put their demise... Down to you torpedoing my penalties. penalties. You're torpedoing, torpedoing my penalty stat, Michael. Surely there's something in this, right? I think players have. Had you're, to you're a penalty adapt. expert. Come on. Oh, oh come on. <laughs> he's crooky. He's terrible, isn't he? No, I think I think players have had to adapt because of the law changes and not being given as many penalties this season as they probably did in the, the previous two seasons. Crooky off the top of my head, the Bruno Fernandos. Fernandez penalty that he skied over the top of the crossbar. Yeah. Is it was it the Aston Villa? I don't. I'm trying yeah. to think off the top of my head. Yeah, we did that yeah. game together. It's the only one. Yeah. So that was the only penalty, and we all thought that Ronaldo should have taken that penalty. And 
I think the reason why we probably turned around and said Ronaldo needed to take that penalty is because Bruno Fernandes has gone so long without a goal. Now, if you're winning the game 3-0, you hand the ball to Bruno and you go, right, OK, get yourself on the score sheet. And I know we're not talking about Manchester United, we're just talking about penalties in general, but um, I think his, his, his lack of form this season has boiled down to a lot that Ronaldo's come back to Manchester United because so, he plays because the he's same not, way. He's not scoring goals, so obviously they're not getting penalties, so he's not scoring goals, so he's not feeling as good about himself, so he's not in, 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 you know, getting involved in the game as much as he should do. So basically what you're saying is, I was right. Well, pretty much, yeah, because yeah, that's what I, see him, I see him play. No, no, you, you are right, Sam, but in, in general, you have to say that a lot of players now, when given the opportunity to go down in the 18-yard area, they would have went down a lot more last season and maybe yeah. the season before than they are now. There are they're trying to stay on the feet. Penalties. That, that is and I fact. think what they're trying to rely on is, is more VAR. So, like we talked about earlier about the offsides, continue playing until you see a flag or the referee blows his whistle. I think it's a similar scenario with the penalties. Stay on your feet and if you can get a shot away, get your shot away. If it doesn't go in and there's contact, leave it to VAR, leave it to the referee and you might get the decision. On Tuesday night, uh, Newcastle against Norwich. Big game. Get to that in just a second. And Leeds against Crystal Palace. The Palace lost to Villa, we've already mentioned, at home. They now go to Leeds. Um, I'm not sure that Leeds are getting any better. They were second best for most of their game against Brighton. Yeah, and that probably was the source of the Brighton fans' frustrations. We've touched on that already, but they clearly felt that their team should be beating this Leeds side. And um, I do worry for Leeds. Um, they've certainly lost something from their play. We talked on this podcast before about the running stats and the fact they're not covering as, as many miles. They're certainly not creating as many chances. I think they'll be happy with a clean sheet uh, because they have been few and far between as well. But they're only three points uh, above Burnley and just one place above the relegation places. I think their fans are, are frustrated. I haven't turned on Bielsa yet, but you wonder how far away that is. But they've got a couple of uh, crucial games coming up, not just this one at home to Crystal Palace. Uh, they've got Brentford in their next home game next weekend because it gets tougher after that. Chelsea away, City away, Arsenal at home, Liverpool away, and rejuvenated Aston Villa at home. So they need some points in um, these next two matches. And they bought off Calvin Phillips at half-time because Bielsa said Pascal Stroik was better suited to the game. Bit of an odd decision. Um, so... I mean, I'm not entirely sure that Phillips would be happy about that. He was playing him as a as a sweeper at a third centre-half. He has done that before, of course. Uh, Crystal Palace, uh, we've mentioned. I, I just wanted to say about the Crystal Palace game, I don't know if you saw much of it, but Michael Salisbury was the referee in this match, right? It was his first, Struggled. His Struggled. first game. Um, <laughs> he, uh, he failed to play the advantage for Palace at 1-0 when Gallagher was through. Um, he could have sent off Milivojevic. They did send off Douglas Louise and then very quick... He, <laughs> to turn it over he brandished the red card basically before the tackle was even finished and then he realised he hadn't actually made any contact so he had to revoke that it wasn't the perfect day for him was it? I felt sorry for him actually uh, when he had to rescind the red card because that just crowned a, a bad day at the office for him as you say a, a young referee first game in the Premier League I'm not sure he'll get too many more unless he improves his performance, I have to say. Yeah, I mean, uh, Vieira was disappointed with their game against Aston Villa because he didn't think they created enough and played below par. They'd want to improve on that when they go to Leeds on Tuesday night. Uh, Newcastle needs to improve and improve quickly because they've now played 13 games they haven't won. Only one team in Premier League history in a 38-game season has ever survived 
from this position, not winning in the first 13 games. Uh, Eddie Howe afterwards still sort of coming out with a line that he believes that he can turn it around. I mean, he's only been there for two games and they had a better shape about them at the weekend. And, you know, we were quite impressed with their defensive shape down at Arsenal on Saturday. But, you know, they have to win against Norwich. I mean, it's a fact. They have to win against Norwich. Otherwise, oblivion is coming round the corner, Michael Gray. It seems to me like over the last four or five seasons, we've been talking about off-the-field antics with Newcastle rather than what they're doing on the field. Uh, with the Mike Ashley um, saga and obviously the takeover that's just happened, uh, Amanda Stavely. So if you if you're a if you're a top player, would you sign for Newcastle in January? Great question. And the, another thing would be if I'm a player, would I turn around and say to myself, "Well, okay, I'm." I'm, for instance, I'm just throwing out figures here, right? Okay, so I'm on 50 grand a week and a, a manager wants to sign me for Newcastle on £120,000 a week. Do I go to Newcastle, who are in a relegation fight, or do I stay at the club that I'm at now? Because they need, and let's not beat about the bush here, they need at least six, seven, eight new faces to walk through that door at Newcastle and hit the ground running. Mm, Because if they don't, they are in trouble. They need a new spine of the team, really, don't they? I mean, because they need a top-class centre-half, they need someone in the middle of the park, and they need someone who's going to score goals on a regular basis to play either with or alongside Callum Wilson or instead of Callum Wilson when he's injured and he always gets injured. I love the fact we've got a Sunderland legend asking the question on this podcast, would you sign for Newcastle? <laughs> Top trolling uh, from Mickey Gray. But I think it is a, a genuine and a reason question. And it's going to be a problematic window uh, for Newcastle because I think there's still a fair bit of animosity amongst the other clubs in the Premier League about the way the takeover went through. So no one's going to uh, accept a bid for one of their players. So they're going to have to shop elsewhere. Yeah, exactly. And, and then you're going down the, the foreign market, maybe looking for players with a bit of Premier League experience because I think that's crucial, but you need the right characters as well in a relegation fight. And there's almost two jobs here for Eddie Howe and his coaching staff. The first is to try and keep Newcastle in the Premier League, which given the statistic you've just read out, looks very difficult, but that will be their January recruitment. And then if they can do that, then I think next summer could be exciting. But if Newcastle fans are expecting them to spend £200 million in January, I just don't see it. What about Norwich? Um, they managed to get a point in their game at the weekend and uh, I suppose Dean Smith's done a relatively good job. He's unbeaten. Yes, Sam, I, I just look, I look from the outside and I look at um, the, the centre-halves. I mean, it could have been completely different. Grant Hanley making a silly mistake at the back when he didn't really need to. He just had to clear his lines, giving opportunities away. But that's the story of their season. Come on, then be optimistic. Yo-yo. It could have been different at the other end, couldn't it? You know, because Pookie had a chance. Not... He wasn't the only one. There were opportunities also in that game elsewhere. I think um, Max Ahrens had a brilliant chance. What about that? If he had put that away for his first Premier League goal, we'd have been talking about it for years. It was brilliant. It was a great move. But did anybody make a challenge? <laughs> and let's be honest with you. If he was in, if he was full of confidence, he dinks it over the goalkeeper. He dinks it over the top of the goalkeeper. Look, Dean Smith's gone in there, and look, he's obviously a nice guy. I mean, he lost his job at Aston Villa, but let's be brutally honest with you. 
It's Norwich and two other teams who are going down. Okay. Uh, Norwich uh, drew 0 with Wolves. Wolves um, play Burnley on Wednesday night. Burnley could be another team that go down. Bruno Largesi was happy with the performance and the point's a good point away from home. Fair enough. Okay. Um, but uh, Burnley won't be happy with their weekend because they didn't get to play. And rightly so, because it was almost impossible to play. But what wasn't right about this, and it really hacked me off, was that they called the game off at quarter past one. You know, this match was due to start at two o'clock. Tottenham, Tottenham fans, some Tottenham fans who had come from Dallas, others that had come <laughs> from Denmark and got in touch with us on TalkSport. Um, we were sort of regaling those messages during the course of the show today. Um, you know, had made huge journeys and a huge effort. You know, I said to you that I went from Manchester to Arsenal, Arsenal to Manchester on Saturday, and it took me 14 and a half hours. The weather was even worse on Sunday. And you imagine the journeys that the Tottenham fans had to go through. It was it was pretty poor on Burnley's part that they weren't prepared for this eventuality and didn't issue an early warning. Guys, this there could be an issue here. No, because a big part of the reason for calling it off, I think, as, as well as the snow on the pitch, was the conditions outside the stadium and it being dangerous for fans to travel. But as you say, most of the Tottenham fans, in fact, all of the Tottenham fans would already have travelled. So they put themselves in danger for a game that ultimately was called off with 45 minutes notice. I'm sure Antonio Conte was frustrated as well. Uh, I did like the images of Sean Dyche wearing just a white shirt out on the pitch, <laughs> spraying yeah. the snow. Um, but yeah, it's a very unsatisfactory situation for everybody. Uh, or maybe everybody apart from you, Sam, because I'm looking at the relegation places right now mm. uh, and you're probably feeling quite smug about the three teams that are currently sitting in 18th, 19th and 20th. Why? Why, why would you say that? Well, I, I believe they're the three teams that you tipped to go down at the start of the I season. Think you might be right there. I'm pleased that you've brought that up. Really? Yeah. Burnley, Norwich and Newcastle United, I tipped. But I must admit, when Newcastle got took over, I just sort of gave up the ghost. Well, oh, that's not going to happen. But actually, Newcastle are more of dead cert than the other two now. Um, so things change very quickly in football. Um, Tottenham, the other end of that, I mean... There's a brilliant image, actually, of Antonio Conte um, with quotes that were posted by Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, <laughs> and he's he's standing there in his Italian suit, looking all very tanned and wonderful as he is, uh, with flecks of snow in his hair. And the quotes that are plastered alongside this wonderful portrait image of Antonio are that we cannot play football in this. Football is designed to be played on a wonderful surface and uh, it endangers the safety of my players. So it is the right decision, as disappointed as I am, blah, 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 blah. But the way it looks, it looks as if he's released a Christmas album and this is the front cover. I mean, <laughs> it really does. It was, it, was a, it was a kind of a... A, a wham picture or a shaking Stevens from many years ago, wasn't it? it was like, <laughs> you were looking at it. He must have been involved, Sam, in games in Italy while he was manager in Italy. In Milan, surely. Where the weather was like that because they play the games with the orange balls. Yeah. He must have been. But you, you looked at that game today. A, a quick little story I'll tell you, right? So we had a groundsman when we moved to the Stadium of Lights. I, I don't remember his surname, but he was called Tom. And when the weather changed and the snow started to come down, he had a, a gadget, let's call it. I know you you like your gadgets, Sam. I do, as you he, well know. Yeah, he had a gadget in his house that used to beep and he could press a button. So this is in the middle of the night before a three o'clock kickoff. He used to press a button and the undersign heating used to come on at the Stadium of Light. Wow. And can I also say this as well? What happened to covers? 
what what happened to covers? Where yeah, where has that gone? Known. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but you see them in the championship in League One and League Two, and, and even lower down than that. Where are the, where are all these? Well, today in the game against City, City against West Ham, there was about fifteen to twenty groundsmen on that field. With I don't know what they were called, like shovels, brushes, brooms, or shovels everything. Or they had everything, they didn't yeah. they? Yes, Burnley should have known, unless they maybe thought they've got a couple of injuries. Let's try and get this game off, and we'll play it later. They had, on a, the they had a suspension as well. They had a couple of suspensions, didn't they? That's cynical. Well, of, that's cynical of you, Michael Gray. Tarkovsky sneaky, and Westwood were suspended, nice. weren't they? Yeah. <laughs> It, 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 it will be frowned upon um, in the it corridors should, of power of the Premier be. League because they they hate the, the damage it does to the product when a game gets called off, particularly at such short notice. Yeah, well, it almost damaged our product, to be honest with you, because we were doing it around the grounds. And we, for one, one moment, we thought, hold on, we, we came here today because there were so many Premier League games. One of them was called off, and we were seeing another, which we thought was going to go. And there wouldn't have been much for us to talk about for another three hours after that. <laughs> and Leicester's was, Leicester's was a panic as well. <laughs> yeah, Leicester had a panic in the second half, uh, because basically it just travelled down, didn't it? We went Burnley, then Manchester, then Leicester. Uh, and now it's heading Crook's way, and he wants to leave very quickly. So I think we should do another 20 minutes on... Uh, <laughs> 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 only joking. tottenham Brentford's the last game we're going to look forward to. That's on Thursday as well. Um, we mentioned a little bit about Tottenham Hotspur. Not too much that we didn't play, so there's not much to talk about uh, with them. They're back at home on uh, Thursday night. They take on a Brentford side who got their first home win of the season since the opening day. Uh, Ivan Tony scored his first home goal, and he scored a penalty. No surprise, really, because he's scored all 13 penalties uh, for Brentford since moving from Peterborough. The last one he missed was for the posh against Barnsley three years ago. And once upon a time, Thomas Frank said to me at Wembley, he's the best penalty taker in the world. Is he? It's a big claim, um, but certainly he's fairly reliable, isn't he, from 12 yards. I thought it was a really cheeky uh, way that he dispatched it. But it was a big win for Brentford. That um, stops the rot in terms of uh, the number of games they've gone without victory. Uh, just when we were starting to think they could be dragged into the relegation battle. Actually, they've got a nice buffer now between them and the bottom three. And some when, when you say we, you mean you. Okay, me. Uh, <laughs> but some winnable games to come. And I'd include this game against Tottenham because we saw against Mura in the Europa League. Tottenham... Uh, far from the finished article under Antonio Conto by his own admission, isn't a miracle worker. So I, I would give Brentford a chance here. I think um, certainly they'll have the work rate, they'll have the endeavour, which Tottenham haven't at times this season. And we talked about fans booing, or well, Tottenham have booed off uh, at half-time in their last home Premier League game. So if Brentford can start on the front foot, maybe get an early goal, it could turn toxic quite quickly for Spurs. When they booed off by their manager after their uh, Thursday night Europa Conference League game, when they lost to the lowest-ranked team in the competition. Well, they should have been. Didn't, I mean, he, didn't he say, it. he actually came out and said after, I mean, poor Antonio's quite sort of a, 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 a flammable character. He will lose his temper quite a lot. And he came out afterwards and basically said, yeah, I've worked with these players for a couple of weeks now. I've realised just how bad they are. <laughs> but again, I mean, unless Tottenham are going to go away from tradition, I don't see them spending hundreds of million in January either. So well, one he's way or another, there for a reason, isn't he? I mean, he, he, I mean, they are going to spend some money because otherwise he wouldn't be there. And, but he I'm, still needs to get a tune out of these players that he's got. <laughs> well, he's not going to get a tune out of them by telling them that they're rubbish, I wouldn't have thought. But um, the first day he walked in, he told them they were fat. And then the next week, he's told them they're useless. I mean, in terms of motivation, I mean, I'm no expert, but I don't think that's really the, a recipe for success. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Good luck to him. If it works, tough love. Go for it. 
The School of Hard Knocks. Right, okay. Uh, Mickey, thank you very much. I'll see you... Um, oh, well, you're going to do the podcast with us on Thursday, aren't you? But we're going to do yes. it live lounge style. We're going to do sure. it in this room. So all of us are going to get together. Uh, and then Crookie and I and you, we're going to go to Manchester United versus Arsenal on Thursday night. So we're going to record sort of some of the stuff during the day. Then we're going to record some stuff late in the evening. So you'll have the most up-to-date podcast when you wake up on Friday morning ahead of another round of Premier League action. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.